let's turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians, and uh, I'll tell you the title and my basic message in two sentences. The title is Conforming to Corinth or Conforming to Christ, and the basic message that I want to get across is that conformity to the world, to the world, can be overcome by nothing but conformity to Christ. Conformity to the world can be overcome by nothing but conformity to Christ. And in many ways, we still live in Corinth. Um, Even in Kirksville, Missouri, we have to contend with many of the things that they had to deal with in Corinth 2,000 years ago. So, kind of a subdivision of this message would be dealing with divisions in the church because there were a great deal of divisions in this church in Corinth. And Why don't we go ahead and read verses in chapter 1, verses 10 through 13, and then we'll talk about some of these problems that were there in Corinth. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and there be no divisions among you, but that you you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and... I am of Cephas, and I of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And then he goes on from there. So obviously, after his introduction of the first nine verses, he gets right to the thing that brought this letter forth, which was the fact that there were divisions amongst the people. And he had heard that uh, from some people that had been there, that there were quarrels among them or schisms among them. So right away we learned something, and that is all was not rosy in the New Testament church. Sometimes we think if we could just get back to be in a New Testament church, everything would be okay. Well, as you read about the New Testament churches, you find out that everything wasn't okay, and especially here at Corinth. Um, So the idea that the first generation of Christians was somehow pure and untroubled, and then it took quite a while for problems to creep in and divisions to develop is just not true. When we look... Throughout the New Testament, we see that 
heresies and problems and divisions were already uh, coming in right at the beginning. And uh, certainly Corinth had more than its share of this type of thing, uh, very significant problems. And it seems that something of the spirit of the city had invaded the church. <clears throat> you know that Corinth was a very uh, sinful city. It was also a, a city known for its learning and its luxury, along with its license. And uh, there was then, of course, pagan idolatry mixed in with that, a false religion. So these people were coming out of a lot um, in being converted there in in the city of Corinth. It was a center of uh, commerce, so there's all kinds of interaction with other uh, cultures, but it was also a center of corruption. <clears throat> but in the midst of all that, God was working and establishing a church. And Paul addresses these people as if they are God's people. He calls them saints and commends them for a number of things. So God was establishing a church and bringing a people to himself there. Um, but he had to write this letter because of being told about these divisions, these quarrels that had taken place. Um, he says it even stronger in relationship to these quarrels. If you turn to chapter 11 and verse 17... says, but in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. For there must, for there must also be factions among you in order that those who are approved may have become evident among you. So, he, you know, it's like, it's kind of a strange thing because he, he says that he wants them to be of one mind and he's uh, dealing with these factions, these divisions, and yet uh, in this section he says there's actually uh, something that can come from this that is profitable. Um, factions among God's true people are, are not good, but fraction, factions that come about because of false brethren, can be helpful in distinguishing the true followers of Christ from those who are not truly converted. And so he says, um, I want to get the true church to be unquarreling. That's probably not a word to stop quarreling. But there is a sense in which because of this coming about, it's going to be helpful in distinguishing the true from the false. Uh, some of the divisions that were coming about here in Corinth were caused by true Christians who were acting like mere men, Paul says, acting as if they were not converted. So uh, he recognizes that Situation as something where there needs to be maturity. He calls them babes in Christ, and they need to learn more. They need to 
experience more. They need to walk more in the truth. But at least in some other cases, Paul considers uh, wicked men to be the cause of the problem, and they need to be removed from the church. So you have both things there, and you have uh, Paul dealing with both in this letter. So we're just going to look at a few of the things that he was dealing with, a few of the details related to these divisions. First real problem that he brings up is that, by and large, these people were looking at life from a worldly perspective, especially in relationship to uh, analyzing things related to uh, um, being followers of men instead of just zeroing in on Christ. Uh, kind of looking at the greatness of a particular leader and, and, and uh, not realizing that, that any good thing there is from Christ. And it's not because of the man himself. Now, sometimes today we would call this kind of a, a cult of personality where you get behind a person because of their uh, superior gifts or abilities. And uh, apparently that's some of what was happening here uh, related to Paul and Apollos and Cephas. Um, we need to realize that the best of men are only men at best, as one person said, and uh, they are not to be put on a pedestal. We should follow no one uh, any further than they're following Christ. I mean, wh what we can gain from another person spiritually comes by way of Christ. And uh, apparently the Corinthians were making distinctions, distinction, distinctions among themselves in accordance with who they thought was a greater leader and who they put the most stock in. Uh, in fact, it seems like apparently... Uh, it had to do with who had baptized him. Now, you might think that since Paul started this church uh, and was known as the great missionary of the church, probably some of them said, well, I was baptized by Paul. You know, you weren't here when Paul was here, so you didn't get baptized the way I did. Because he started this church, and you know he's the great missionary to the Gentiles. I was baptized by Paul. Well, then the other guy might say, "Yeah, but after Paul came, Apollos came, and you, you know, Apollos was so mighty in the Scriptures, and such a great speaker. And Paul, you know, he had a little problem in that. Uh, I was baptized by Apollos." But this other guy said, yeah, well, I came a little later than that, and I was over in Jerusalem, and I got baptized by Peter, and he's one of the original apostles. So, I mean, really, think about that. <laughs> well, anyway, they were making distinctions along that line, and Paul says that is really off track. Has Christ been divided? It was his way of dealing with that. Uh, 
So he rebukes this type of attitude over and over in this letter. It's an arrogance. It's a pride. It's following man instead of following Christ, even in the name of Christ doing that. Um, let's just look at a couple places where he does this. Uh, chapter 4, verse 6. He says, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that in us you might learn not to exceed what is written, in order that no one of you might become arrogant on behalf of one against the other. See, that's what was happening. They were becoming arrogant on behalf of one against the other. Uh, Verse 7, For who regards you as superior? And what do you have that you did not receive? But if you received it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? And then let's just skip on down to verse 18. Now some have become arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. So... Three times here he mentions this thing of arrogance or pride. And when that's there, Paul was very much aware that that will always open the door to all kinds of problems and evil. Uh, Pride comes before the fall. And actually these people have fallen down pretty low, at least some of them had, because he goes right from that into what he says, is immorality of such a nature that they don't even go along with this in Corinth. Now, you had to be pretty bad off to be doing things that the Corinthians would say was bad or wrong. But if you look in chapter 5 here, verses 1 and 2, he said, it is actually reported that there is immorality among you and immorality of such a kind as does not even exist among the Gentiles that someone has his father's wife, and you have become arrogant, so there's that arrogant again, and have not mourned instead in order that the one who had done this might, done this deed might be removed from your midst. So with pride comes a blindness, and to such an extent that these people were actually doing things that the Gentiles wouldn't even approve of. So a very... Uh, difficult situation that Paul is speaking into here. Another area that shows how quarrelsome uh, they were is the fact that they were suing one another in the secular courts. If you skip over to chapter 6, does any one of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to to law before the unrighteous and not go before the saints? Um, Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world and if the world is to be judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law court? He goes on along that line. But but he says that uh, these people who had considered themselves so... Uh, spiritual weren't even able to take care of the simple problems in the church they're trying to take those things to uh, law courts 
the, some of the disagreements among themselves. Paul says that it's a shame to bring these things to the world. You see that down uh, later on here. Um, let's see. He says, actually, then it is already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Um, on the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud, and that your own brethren. Um, well, verse 5 says, I say this to your shame. So it was a shame what they were doing, and it, it, uh, he says it'd be better to go ahead and be wronged than to drag the cause of Christ down before the ungodly. So, although he doesn't mention it right here, of course, Matthew 18 is always the right way to handle the things that happen in the church. You go to the person themselves. You deal with it in the church. Uh, if it's, uh, you know, the whole idea of taking a spiritual things before the world is a, is a big mistake. They have no capacity to deal with those things. Um, usually, if Christian people will get together and actually talk through things, it can be resolved. Many of these problems here in Corinth, if people would uh, humble themselves and, and pray and ask God for help, uh, there would be many of these things would have been could have been dealt with uncovering misperceptions and miscommunication and misunderstanding can usually go a long way towards resolving uh, situations um, but even if those things can't be resolved that way it's still wrong to take them to the world to ask the world to solve the problems that the church has is a big mistake. So he goes from that uh, to some other things that he brings out as areas of, of uh, need in the church where there were divisions. I mean, they were actually having division even at the time when they were supposed to show the most unity at the Lord's, when they remembered the Lord's death until he comes at the Lord's Supper. They... Uh, were uh, actually kind of marking their divisions amongst themselves by who they'd eat with and, and uh, things like that. It was an incredible situation. So, actually, when Paul tries to really get down to the heart of the matter, one of the main things that he saw as a cause of division in the church basically was reliance on worldly wisdom and worldly ways rather than the power of Christ and the power of the cross. Um, I think this is, the, this is really the thing that he wanted to emphasize is you're handling these things wrong. You're not handling them as Christians would. You're handling them the way the world would. Uh, that's why he spends so much time on contrasting the uh, wisdom of the world with the ways of Christ. <clears throat> First Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 18. He says, For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, 
and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of a message preached to save those who believe. So he's saying it makes no sense to try to go to the world or let the world come to you and tell you how to handle things or be influenced by the culture in these things because the, the ways of the world are foolishness to God and the ways of the church are foolishness to the world. So they're not. you cannot mix them together and hope to get any help for God's people or the church. Um, chapter 3, verse 18. 3.18. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become foolish that he may, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise that they are useless. So then, let no one boast in man. For all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All things belong to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. So, again, the idea of, you know, the idea of following a certain man, Paul's basically saying, you got that from the world. You didn't get that from Christ. You didn't get that uh, from my teaching. That's a worldly way. That's, that's the way the world functions. Well, when you go through the whole list of things that Paul brings up related to the problems at Corinth, you might be tempted to just, just write them all off as non-Christians. Uh, but Paul doesn't do that. He seeks to correct their carnality by pointing to the cross and reminding them that they are in Christ. Now, he gives specific instructions on how to deal with some of these situations, but he knew that all the problems for Christians can ultimately be traced to them not partaking in what God has made them to be. Our problem, my problems, your problems, as Christians now, to the people there at Corinth that Paul really knew were Christians, believed were saints, said your real difficulty is just not partaking in what God has made you to be. So basically, this letter is an exhortation to them that by the power of God that's working within them, be what you are, be what God's made you and that involves realizing and reckoning on the 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 work of the cross the the word of the cross that has come to them by which they've been redeemed and ransomed so really what he's saying is don't let the world be the thing you go by let christ who, who is a reality in your life, if you're a Christian, let Christ teach you and bring you on and uh, get 
get away from thinking the way you used to think as a non-Christian. Let the word that is in you richly dwell within you. The church of God will always falter if she becomes conformed to the methods and manners of the world. The church of God will always succeed when she is true to the supernatural power working within her by virtue of the cross of Christ. So we have to keep coming back to the reality of Christ working in our lives. That's why I started out by saying the main point of what I want to say this evening is that conformity to the world can be overcome by nothing but the but conformity to Christ. Well, I think that's the real essence of what Paul was dealing with here uh, in this letter. But I just want to close by having us think about how we should deal with divisions in the church. Now, basically, I've said there's two categories here. There's a category that in, in some cases it may be that that division has to do with God distinguishing the approved from those that are not approved. In other words, separating truth from true from the false. Sometimes a division in what appears to be the church is actually a division between the church and some people that aren't really part of the church that were sitting in the same locality. In other words, God is weeding out, and that can be that can be necessary. More often, what I think Paul was dealing with here was he, there was some of that, but it has to do with the, the divisions are caused not by a non-Christian, but by a Christian that's being brought up, grown up into more maturity in their conformity to Christ. In other words, Paul deals with the whole the whole thing partly in terms of realizing that some of these divisions were because of people being babes in Christ and not being very far along and acting like mere men, he says. And in some sense, he, he would say you're still fleshly. You're still living like you were a mere man and not a supernatural uh, follower of Christ. So uh, I guess another way of saying that was that Paul recognized that growth in grace takes time and trials and truth. And uh, some of these Christians were not very far along, and so they were actually acting more like non-Christians. <clears throat> Paul actually compares, when he's talking about the, uh, the uh, babes in Christ, he talks about uh, saying that, that uh, he watered, Paul watered, Apollos, or Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God causes the growth. 
And so he's making a comparison there between a Christian and a plant that's growing. Uh, and the idea there is it takes time for the plant to grow. I'm raising some tomatoes right now, and I, I water them every day. But I can't actually see a big increase every day. But if I go from, you know, a couple weeks, and if I had a picture of two weeks ago and a picture of today, I could see there's been some real growth there. But if I just look, you know, every day, I don't see a whole lot of growth. Because growth mostly comes in small ways, not leaps and bounds. Now, sometimes God, God in, the, in the Christian life can make some big, big jumps. But most of our growth is small things that you, if you just go day by day, you wouldn't see it. So Paul recognized that. Uh, and I think that's part of what he was dealing with here when he was dealing with some of these divisions. Um, also, what Paul was emphasizing was that we need to concentrate upon what unites us. We're one in Christ. He brings this up over and over in the letter. Christ is not divided. He starts right off by saying that after he talks about one saying, I'm a Paul, I'm a Paulus, I'm a Cephas. And then he says, has Christ been divided? And, of course, the answer is no, Christ is not divided. We're, they're one in Christ, and uh, they're one family of God. There's one spirit. They've all been baptized into one body. And so they, they more and more need to recognize that. We also need to um, realize that we can be wrong about some things, or at least only partially right. So that's a little, a little easier on us sometimes. Instead of saying I'm wrong, well, I'm, I know I'm just partially right. <laughs> well, that can be true, you know. Uh, but the fact is we always need to take the humble position, and that is that we don't know everything about any subject. And so God uses others to teach us and bring us on. They might be further along in an area than we are, even though we're further along in some other area. And uh, it's good to remember that God can use all, uh, each other, us, you know, teach each other and bring us closer to the conformity of Christ if we'll be willing to listen try to understand the other person's point of view. So we've all got a lot to learn, and often God uses others in this. And along with that, we should desire to know the truth, not just win an argument, which means that we need to have a greater desire to arrive at the truth than to defend our position or our reputation or our group. We want to know the truth. And in all of this, we must be willing for God to change us. See, this is, this is the way he starts. <clears throat> this is the way he starts the letter. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree 
and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, if that's going to happen, that means we all have to be willing to change. That's what he's saying to these people. There has to be changes where disagreements exist, and there were disagreements here. He knew that. Uh, If they're going to have one mind and have the same judgment, God's going to have to change some things in their hearts. But the idea is that we are willing to change together. This church should be willing to change together, and we need to be willing to change together. We're in a process of more and more being conformed to Christ. And as that takes place, we have to, we have to change. Some of our thinking changes, some of our actions change, and those things that may be part of the divisions now can be made different because of just being more like Christ. So... Um, those are just some very brief thoughts <clears throat> related to what Paul was dealing with here in Corinth. And uh, again, we cannot let the world be the thing that determines how we handle our lives, how we handle difficulties, because they don't handle things right. And Christ can bring about a resolution of divisions and difficulties with one another if we will remember that he's making us to be like Christ, all of us, if we're Christians. And those those things will be dealt with as we humble ourselves and ask him to bring us on and make us Make us what we are. Well...